Good morning, River Church. Happy Easter. It's so good to see you here today. You guys do look great. Joel wasn't lying. He was telling the truth. We are glad you're here, and uh, if you are here in your Easter best, or, or just you're here, we got a photo booth out there. We want to have a good spot for you guys to take some Easter photos, because uh, one thing about a movie theater is there's not, there's not great spots for pictures, right? And so, uh, anyways, we want to give you that opportunity. So, we're glad you're here. I know that Easter oftentimes means different things for different people, right? Like, for some people, it's, you know, just a good time to go see the Easter bunny, Easter candy, Easter eggs. Uh, it means a whole lot of different things for different people. I was at a, a conference and was listening to this pastor speak, and he was telling a story about uh, what Easter kind of meant to his family. And uh, he said that he was on a walk one one evening with his family, and uh, as they're going, he said his wife and kids were kind of up ahead, except for he was back with one of his, his three-year-old son. And so they were kind of walking behind everybody, and he said his, his son turned to him and goes, Dad, did you know that Jesus died on the cross? And that's a pretty proud dad moment, right? Like, that, that's right, son. I, well, I taught you that. That's good. You, you knew that. Three years old. That's impressive, right? I mean, Gideon, you know, he's 10 months old today, but he knows that already. But, you know, three, three years, that's good. That's a good time, too, right? And uh, but anyways, and so he goes, you know, being a, being a good dad, he wanted to kind of press him in and say, you know, see, well, how much theology does this kid know? What does he really know? And so he asked him, well, then, what happens next? Jesus died on the cross, and then what happens? Then what? And he said his son was kind of, you could see the wheels turning, and he's thinking and thinking and thinking. And uh, about that time, his wife and the rest of the kids come walking back, and he says, honey, our son's about to tell us that uh, what happens after Jesus died on the cross. And so his son's thinking, thinking, and then you see, he, saw, he said he saw the light bulb come on. He says about to be one of the proudest dad moments. He sees the light bulb come on, and his son throws his hands up, and he goes, and then a bunny brings me candy. <laughs> Easter means different things to different people. <laughs> but we're glad you're here today, man. I don't, I don't know um, why you're here. I don't know if, if uh, it's your first time here, your first time, long time, you're a member of the church. I don't know if someone invited you to the movies and brought you in here and you're going, what the heck just happened? Somebody tricked me. But either way, we're glad you're here. And today, we're here to celebrate emptiness. Now, emptiness is kind of a dirty word, don't you think? Emptiness is kind of one of those words that, that we don't want to describe us. Like everything about our lives, we kind of build it up so that we don't look empty, don't feel empty. Like to be perceived as empty is something we don't, we don't want. Like we don't want the empty bank account, right? I mean, I don't know anybody that's like, yeah, I want no money. <laughs> we don't want the empty bank account. We don't want the empty pantries at the house. We definitely don't want the empty social calendar, right? Like if nothing else, like we have, I mean, come on, we got Facebook. We got to have stuff to post on Facebook. Facebook is built so that we can prove to the world that we got stuff going on in our lives. Like, we're cool, right? I'm not a loser. I got stuff going on, right? That's, I'm, that's the point of Facebook, right? I, like, I remember being in high school, and, like, just even, even that thought of, like, I don't have anything going on would drive me crazy. So, like, Friday, Saturday nights, I had to make sure that I had something going on. I was hanging out with somebody because if I didn't, it, it felt empty. I felt, I felt like man, I got to have something going on because I, I, I got to have something to fill that in my life. And so what often happened was I ended up hanging out with people I didn't really like doing stuff I didn't even want to do. 
just so I didn't have that feeling, right? Maybe that's true for some of you. Maybe you're like, that's me right now. Save me, Mike. Get me out of that, right? Just don't tell the people you came here with. <laughs> but I remember that. I remember that feeling. What's funny about that is like even now today, it's the exact opposite. Like Katie tells me we don't have anything to do on a Friday night. I'm like, yes, watching the Netflix, watching the Office reruns, getting some Chick-fil-A. Like it's going to be a good night, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you will, right? But there seems to be something in and about human existence, I think, that's intrinsically in mankind. It's, it's like a human nature type thing where, where there is a search for purpose, a search for meaning, a search for filling that emptiness, getting that away. And I think that um, if you said that you never experienced that, Maybe you just aren't that deep of a person. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Somebody's like, man, this guy is really insulting me today. I, I don't know, but I think that we would all be honest and say that we've all experienced that and felt that at some time, like that search for meaning. And, and, and even there's this guy in the Bible named Solomon that we'll, we might talk about in a little bit who spent a great portion of his life trying to pursue filling that void of emptiness trying to figure out what is the purpose of life? What is it that takes away this emptiness? And he spends a ton of money, spends a ton of time trying to figure that out. But today, we're not here to celebrate that emptiness. We're here to celebrate a different kind of emptiness. We're here to celebrate the emptiness of the tomb and what that means for you and me today. When we left off last week, um, if you were here last Sunday, we talked about Palm Sunday. And that was a, a day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the champion. He rides into Jerusalem as the king. He rides into the Jerusalem with adoration and praise. People are throwing palm branches at his feet. They're singing his praise. They're shouting out Hosanna, which means save us. And the reason they're doing that is because they're expecting Jesus to ride in as a conquering savior. They're expecting him to conquer Rome. Like that was the Jewish expectation for Jesus, that he was going to come in and conquer Rome. And he did come to conquer, right? He just came to conquer in a totally different way than what they were expecting. And so that was a week ago. And in a week, things really go downhill for Jesus. We see him ride in to the conquering team, to, to a king as shouts of adoration, shouts of praise. But a lot's happened since then. We've seen the Last Supper. We've seen where he tells them, my body is about to be broken for you. My, my blood is about to be poured out, to be shed for you. He tells Judas, go do what you got to do. And Judas leaves and he betrays Jesus with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. We see Jesus get arrested and face multiple illegal trials, trials that wouldn't actually stand up in court, but they did it so quickly and so in the cover of darkness that they, that they went through. We had multiple witnesses come through and lie after lie after lie about Jesus in order to get him convicted. We see him beaten, battered, and bruised. And finally, beaten and battered, we see him led to the cross and crucified. Here's how Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 37, says, and it's kind of a long passage, but I'm going to read it because it's Easter, and you know, you should read the Bible on Easter, right? So we're going to do that. Verse 32, it says, And two others, criminals, 
were also laid to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place, the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and they cast lots. The people watching and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself. If this is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers mocked him. They came offering, offering him sour wine and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Remember, they put that up there because the Jewish people thought he was coming in to conquer Rome. And they essentially said, this is what we do to people who think they're going to conquer Rome. We crucify him. This is your king, is what they were saying. Verse 39. Then one of the criminals hanging there began yelling insults at him, asking him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. He's mocking him. But the other answered, rebuking him, do you even fear God since you are going under the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. That was some cool words right there. Verse 44, and it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three. Because the sun's light failed, the curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit, saying this. He breathed his last. Emptiness. I think in that moment, the world felt an emptiness like it had never experienced before. In that moment, the king was dead. The substitution, he died our death. The propitiation, he endured our condemnation. The reconciliation, he suffered our separation. And you know, a lot of times people ask this question, like, why, why the cross? Why did God do it that way? Why did he crucify Jesus? Why couldn't he just go, hey, man, you're forgiven. I'm just going to let it go. Those sins, we're just going to let it go. We're just going to let it slide. Why didn't, he, why didn't he do it that way? And the thing about it is that, like, because they asked the question, isn't God merciful? Isn't God kind? Isn't he good? Why doesn't he, why didn't he just say, all is forgiven, man. Y'all come on in. Come on into the club. And the answer is he is merciful, right? We talked about this in our men's group. He is merciful, but he's also just. And a just God cannot and will not allow evil to go unpunished. If he allowed evil to go unpunished, he would not be good. Like imagine this. Imagine if there was someone that did something horrific to your family member, somebody that you love, that did some horrific thing, and you go to the trial, and the judge steps up, and the judge says, you know what? We're going to show mercy. We're just going to forgive you. We're just going to let it slide. No, uh, no, no punishment, no reprimand, no, we're just going to let it go. Would you scream up and go, justice? W would you scream up and go, thank you, judge, for being so merciful and kind? Or would you scream, this is unfair, this is unjust, this is wrong, this is evil. How could you do this? Which one would we land on, right? And that's the thing about God is his mercy 
is true, but so is his just. And so what he had to do was punish sin. He had to pour out his wrath on sin. And what Jesus does is he steps in our place and he takes on that wrath, all the wrath that was meant for us, all the wrath that was meant for sin, all the wrath that was meant for evil was poured out on him for on our behalf. Isn't that incredible? Like, I think sometimes we hear that so much that we get used to it. But because God is just, he poured out his wrath on sin. The cross is God pouring his wrath out and punishment on sin for our sake. Jesus suffers and dies so that the wrath of God can be satisfied and so that we can experience mercy and grace and forgiveness and healing. It's incredible. And so in this moment, we see Christ crucified on the cross. We see the king is dead. We see darkness come over the land. We see earthquakes hit. We see people mocking him. He said he was going to rebuild the temple in three days. He saved others. Can he save himself? This is the king of the Jews? They're mocking, they're scoffing, they're laughing, mockers mocking, Satan flexing his muscles, death thinking it just defeated the king, and little did they know that it was over before they started. By the time we hear little baby Jesus crying in the manger, it had been over for centuries, man. Jesus took on our condemnation. He took on our sin. And every single step he took towards the cross was a step that screamed victory. A step that screamed forgiveness, freedom, love for you and me. Every step towards that cross, Christ was shouting out and proclaiming his love for you. But like I said, it doesn't end with the cross, right? We're here today to celebrate emptiness because it doesn't end with the cross. Let's check out Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes, and the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. I love this right here. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here. Amen but he has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be betrayed at the hands of sinful man, be crucified, rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Then returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. Come on, guys, nonsense. What's wrong with you? And they did not believe the women. Peter, however, man, you got to love Peter. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. 
When he stopped looking, he saw only linen clothes, so he went home amazed at what had happened. Two things stand out there to me. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, and that's why we're here today to celebrate emptiness. And then, God, please make me like Peter. Because everybody else is doubting. Everybody else is saying, man, shut up, guys. Y'all don't know what you're talking about. Like the women come in, they're like, man, shut up. Y'all, y'all just dumb. You know what I'm talking about. Peter doesn't care about what anybody thinks. Peter doesn't care about any of the haters. Peter gets his butt up and takes off. Dear Lord, make me like Peter, right? I mean, he sprinted. I don't know how far away the, the tomb was, but it says he ran. Maybe he was in good shape. I don't know. But he ran because here's the thing Peter knew about God. Even if there was a glimmer of hope, man, he was going to go find out. And he was going to do every single thing he could to find out that hope, find out if it was true. And like I said, that's why we're here to celebrate emptiness. Peter's response, he gets up and he runs to the tomb. Peter gets there. He finds out what we know now. Death, where is your victory? It's gone. Death, where is your sting? Death, you can't hold down the king. He is risen and he is alive, baby. And that's why we're here today to celebrate emptiness. Because through emptiness, we have hope. In emptiness, we have life. In emptiness, we have salvation. The empty tomb means so much for you and I. There are so many implications, not just of the cross, but of the empty tomb itself. The empty tomb means that... um, Now, because the tomb is empty, we can, for the first time in history, have a true relationship with God. Think about this. Hear hear me on this. You were created to glorify God and to live in a deep relationship with him. You were created to live in and to know God's sin, the thing that that Jesus died on the cross for had fractured that relationship, had broke that relationship, had messed up and distorted that relationship beyond recognition. But now because of the cross and the empty tomb, now we can walk in deep relationship with him. Think of the impact of those words. Now you can know God. Think of the implications of that. Now you can know God. Don't let that skip past you this morning, man. Because of the cross and because of the emptiness of the tomb, you can know the creator, the sustainer of the universe. So first, the relationship with God is now restored. Secondly, and this is a really cool one. We like this one a lot. Death is now defeated. Finally, it's over. It's done. Death is defeated. Christ's resurrection means death is defeated once and for all. John chapter 11, and we're at the river. We're actually going through the book of John, so we'll get to this chapter in a couple weeks. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. The one who believes in me will never die. And he emphasizes ever. That's powerful, man. The one who believes in me will never die ever. We no longer have to fear death, man. 
because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, we will see loved ones again who knew him. And look, let's, let's just be honest. If I said anybody here looking forward to death, if you raise your hand, you're a liar or there's something wrong with you. Nobody's looking forward to going through that process, man. Like, I hope that God takes me easy. Like, just hit me with a bus and let it be over when I'm like 127. So the process of getting there might be tough and it might hurt a little bit and it might be hard. But because of the cross and because of the empty tomb, we don't have to fear what's on the other side. We now have a hope that no one else has. And like Peter, man, let me get up and chase it, baby. Let me go after that hope. He is risen, man. He's not here. So I know we don't look forward to death. But now we can look forward to what's on the other side. And even in the fear when life gets hard and whenever loved ones get sick and there's, there's those just really just tough moments in life, at the end of the day, we always still have that promise and we always still have that hope because of the emptiness of the tomb. And so we celebrate emptiness today, don't we? Thirdly, sin is defeated because of that empty tomb. Not just defeated as in salvation, but it's defeated in us, which means that we can now become who God created us to be. Like not just in relationship with him, but God created you to be a certain person. He created you. Um, he has a plan for your life. And what sin does is it gets in the way of that. And it distorts that and it, it cripples us and it hampers us who you were designed to be. And so it gets in and God created you to be this, this certain type of person and sin cripples that and it keeps you from getting there. He created you to live this victorious life in him where he uses you and does awesome stuff in you and through you. Sin cripples that. Sin hinders that because when God's trying to grow you and transform you and use you, that sin that, that holds onto us keeps us from that, holds us back. But what God did through the cross and through the resurrection is he defeated sin, which means you can be set free too, man. Now as Christians, we don't, we don't have to use that excuse. Well, this is just who I am. I can't get any better. I can't change. God can't use me. No, that's a lie. It's a load of something, man. It ain't true. Through the cross and the resurrection, God can now set you free from the sin that entangles you. Like, like the cheating husband, through the cross, through transformation that comes in the gospel, you can be the faithful husband. The drug addict, through the cross and through the transformation in Christ, the empty tomb can now be set free from those drugs. I mean, we like the extreme examples, but it's not just that. The bitterness you harbor inside of you, can be set free. The jealousy that keeps you from loving other people, you can be set free. And every other area in your life that sin holds on to you through Christ, through pursuing him, through chasing after him like our buddy Peter, you can be set free. Sin doesn't have to have a hold on you anymore. And if it does, man, just give up the excuses. <laughs> Chase him. The fruits of the Spirit can be evident in our lives. God can transform you through the cross. And then finally, I'll say this. And I, and I think that if, 
you don't know Christ, you this one's a hard one to grasp, and it's almost insulting a little bit to you. I don't mean it that way. But finally, because of the cross and the empty tomb, life truly has meaning for the first time. Here's what I mean by that. This guy, that guy Solomon I was talking about in the beginning, he was uh, David's son. He was one of the kings of Israel. And God came to him and said, hey, man, I'll, grant, I'll give you anything you want, riches, gold, whatever you want. And Solomon says, I want wisdom. Man, I pray that if God ever came to me like that, I would have the wisdom to ask for wisdom. If I had that wisdom, I wouldn't need wisdom. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll leave that alone. So Solomon, God grants him wisdom, and the Bible says that he is the wisest man who walked the earth. And what Solomon does is he sets out to answer that question, what fulfills the emptiness? What is the point of life? What, what is it? And so, Solomon tries it in all these different things, like I won't run through all of it, but he, he pursues everything better than we ever could and more because he's the king of Israel. And so he chases women. He says, maybe companionship will be the thing that satisfies me. And so he marries like 300 women, which that might've been his problem from the beginning. That's a lot, dude. Um, 300 women, 700 concubines. And he goes through all of this process. And at the end of it, he says, man, it doesn't fulfill me. And he says it's vanity, it's, it's meaningless. Essentially, it's still empty. I sought after all, all of it, it was still empty. And then he seeks money. He says, well, maybe if I can just gain and attain and achieve enough money, that'll satisfy my soul. And what he finds at the end of the day is it doesn't. He becomes the richest man in the land, is what the Bible says. And it still leaves him feeling empty. And then he does the next step. This is like a natural progression of human nature, I think. He goes, he says, now I'm going to see if I can achieve as much as I can. We men, we like to do that one. I'm going to be successful at work. I'm going to achieve as much as I can. I'm going to build my castle, baby. And so he achieves and he builds and he makes these incredible water gardens and he does all these things that we could never do, if we're going to be honest. And at the end of building all this stuff, what he says is it's vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There's nothing new under the sun. Essentially, it's meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. It's still leaving me feeling empty. Happy Sunday. All right, we're done. I'm just kidding. Now we're going to sing. Help us. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he walks through all of this, and at the end of the day, he says, it's still leaving me feeling empty. And I know that's not the encouraging thing you were looking for on Easter. You're like, what's the point now, Mike? But essentially what Solomon figures out, he says it's, it's empty. It's still me empty because you live, you work as hard as you can, and then you die. Like at the end of the day, none of it mattered. Like it's just done. And the thing about that is he's kind of right in a way. Well, if there's no cross, he's right. And if there's no empty tomb, he's right. And that's why we're here today to celebrate emptiness. Because sin is defeated, death is defeated. Now our relationship with God can be restored through salvation. Now hope is alive. And I think probably at the cross for the first time in history, Solomon's words for the Christian are no longer true. Vanity of vanity, meaningless, meaningless, empty, empty, empty. He's wrong. Because 
Without the cross, without the empty tomb, it's true. Nothing has meaning because you live, you work, you die, it's over, and then you're done, you're forgotten. Like maybe your grandkids remember you if you were really good to them. I know that's not encouraging. But because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, now everything has meaning. Because what that means for us, the emptiness of the tomb means life is no longer empty. And for a Christian, that should transform the way we see the world around us. That should transform the way we perceive everything, the way we think, the way we spend our time. The empty tomb should reshape our thinking to see the eternal implications of everything we can now do with our lives. Because without the cross, life is finite and it's done. But with the cross, with the empty tomb, we can now live a life that echoes into eternity. Think about that. Because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, now God can use your money to impact eternity. God can use your time to impact eternity. God can use how you raise your kids to impact eternity. You can have a life that God uses to echo and make ripples into and throughout eternity. Before Christ and the cross, the greatest thing we could hope for is to be remembered. That's why people spend their entire lives trying to build stuff, man, trying to be remembered, remembered, remembered. That's why they build wings on the hospitals so someone will know their name one day. John T. White, whoopity-doo, I'm tired of your stupid freeway. Like at the end, of the day, we're cursing that guy. Toll road, ah! Right. I don't know who this John guy is, but I don't like him. I'm just kidding. Without the emptiness of the tomb, the best we can hope for in this life is to be remembered. And even that dies with a few generations later. But because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, life, your life, my life can now have eternal impacts and eternal value. I could get on board with that. We celebrate the cross today. We celebrate the resurrection today because we have a God that we believe looked down on us in our lostness a God who looked down on people who could not save themselves and he pulled us out of the grips of death. We have a God who through the emptiness of the tomb removed the emptiness of life. We have a God who through emptiness gave us true life for the first time. And so what we need to do to that or because of that like Katie said this morning, is we need to respond to that, man. We need to celebrate that. We need to worship him for that. Because of the cross, because of the emptiness of the tomb, we can now have a relationship with God. Sin is now defeated. Death is now defeated. And life, for the first time, can have true eternal value, true meaning. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship, man. And I just want to encourage you, if there's anything going on in your life, if you need prayer, if you need, I don't know, if, if this resonates with you on some level, man, don't, don't leave here today without talking to somebody, without praying with somebody about that. Because God can and will transform your life. God can and will use your life. And he loves you and he died for you and he took on your sin so that you could be set free and know him.
Let's pray. God, we love you today. We celebrate the cross today. We celebrate emptiness. God, today we celebrate everything that you did for us and we worship you in it, God. We're so thankful for the emptiness of the cross. Because of the emptiness of the cross, you removed the emptiness of life. Lord, you gave us meaning. You gave us hope. You gave us life. And so, God, today we want to respond to you in worship. We want to sing your name. We want to proclaim your goodness, God. We want to proclaim your mercy. God, and we, if nothing else, we want to be like Peter, and we want to get up and take off after you, Jesus. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.